this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge, and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg, and I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush, and I touch air. Couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. If you have an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. If you want to hear more shows every week on Thursdays, we do release bonus episodes to members on the website. All you got to do is go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member today, and you'll get access to all membership content. And also, we are offering preparedness food, emergency preparedness food. In today's world, we do need to be prepared for the emergency scenario, and we offer that at preparewiththeconfessionals.com. We offer a one-week supply of food and a four-week supply of food, the four-week supply of food if you purchase that it will come with a hundred dollars knocked off right away and this food has a 25 year shelf life it's a great deal and we do offer other things other than food i know i mention food every week but we do offer survival kits canned food a lot of stuff on the website and all you gotta do is go to prepare with the now this week we have chris coming on the show and chris is a guy who had a bigfoot experience and it was like a multi-day kind of scenario with his friend and he actually had this encounter not too far away from where Wes Germer had his encounter. So this is a very similar area, and we even talk about that on the show. So let's get to Chris right now. All right, today we got a great guest coming on. We have Chris. Chris, how you doing, man? Doing good, Tony. How are you? I'm doing good. So uh, you have a Bigfoot experience and we just got done chopping it up a little bit. And I was just telling you, like over time and stuff, I mean, we really with the Bigfoot encounters coming into the show has slowed down over time because the show's grown. So it seems like more people out in the world listening to the show that aren't necessarily Bigfoot people or don't really uh, have a Bigfoot experience, but they have other experiences have been flooding into the show. So it seems like we have less Bigfoot encounters recently, but I'm really excited about having yours on because uh, one, it happened in the Pacific Northwest, which is where you're from, uh, Washington State. And I like hearing stories from Washington State just because when I picture a Sasquatch in Washington State, I think of the biggest ones possible, you know, like like a 10 footer, you know, out there, huge giant things, because everything in the Northwest is big. Even the the cats are huge. Uh, And you mentioned to me that. Uh, And this is another reason why I'm excited to talk to you about this, uh, because you mentioned to me that this isn't too far from uh, Wes Germer's encounter that he had. And uh, that episode that I did with him, episode 52 and stuff, people can go and check that out to hear Wes Germer's actual 
uh, encounter story with what him and his brother went through coming across these Bigfoot. Uh, so you're not too far from there. And that's who kind of, it's very intriguing. So Chris, if you could just start from the beginning, share with us what you and your buddy were doing that got you into this, because I know this was a multiple day event. All right. So yeah, my, my good buddy and I, he came up from Oregon to visit with me. He was getting ready to move to Texas. He became a police officer. So he was getting ready to pack up and go. And we decided, hey, you know, let's do one last camping trip because something we always used to do. So he came up and uh, we drove out. It kind of, oh, I don't know. It was out by the Gifford Pinchot. Uh, we found one of the lead trails and we thought, no, there's going to be too many people. So we drove up, found an old abandoned parking lot. and There wasn't any really anything going on. So that's where we parked. And we hiked oh, about nine miles that day and we just brought, you know, single man tents and MREs and packed light. And uh, we hiked about five miles in on this unused trail, didn't really see any signs of people. And we always kind of look for what we call Charmin flowers, which are people that are in the backcountry that use the bathroom. You kind of see them kind of wadded up and you'll see them, but there wasn't anything there and there was no footprints. And we're like, all right, this is perfect. So after we uh, got into camp, we set up, made a fire, relaxed and just kind of talked and reminisced about stuff you know and uh nothing really happened and uh, it was like this is an awesome spot great view well the second day we got up and we hiked another five miles in and again it, it was an animal game trail not a, not a personal trail and uh to my left i saw this structure and it really caught my eye and it seemed weird and the, it was logs that were used but they were big they were you know nine inch to five inch in circumference and they were stacked up and there was a uh, kind of an alder type tree that was bowed completely over like a kind of like a rainbow style and it had boughs and on the backside it just looked like a pile of stuff but when you came around you could actually go in it and i jokingly said hey i guess this is bigfoot's house right and my buddy laughed he goes no that's kind of weird and it almost was like a hunting blind but it, it, it was just different it was like i'd seen i went after the encounter i went home and looked online and seen some like it but anyhow back to the the camp or the structure he said, well, you know what? It works with ghosts if we provoke it. And I'm like, man, just leave it alone. Don't, don't screw with it. Well, he messed with it, knocked a big chunk of it over. And it gave me a really weird feeling. Like it just didn't feel right. And I felt really guilty, which I don't know why, but I did. And uh, he, I told him, you know, don't be an a-hole. Knock it off, man. And he laughed. He goes, it's, it's, not, it's not real, man. It's somebody that was out here, the mate camp, probably some survivalist. I'm like, those trees are too big, man. Those things are, you know, 180 pounds plus. They're, the way they're bowed like that, you couldn't bow it. And uh, so we, we just decided to walk away from it. We kind of forgot about it and hiked and ate and walked back by and saw the structure all fouled up. And I just felt really bad. So the third night, or that night, excuse me, we're back in camp having a fire talking. And we're like, well, let's just turn in early. But while we're sitting there, out in the distance, we heard this knocking. And I thought, what in the heck? You know, what's that knocking? And my buddy goes, oh, it's probably just a deer. Well, then we heard a whoop and it was loud. It was in the distance, but it was loud. And then there was this loud kind of a, a howl, like an air raid siren. And then there was a loud screech. And it was so loud, it just deafened the woods. Everything went quiet. And when I mean quiet, it's like when you put earplugs in your ear and all that white noise, ambient noise you hear, it was gone. And it was dead silent. And I had a level of anxiety in me that I wanted to go. But I was like, okay, you're just psyching yourself out. And it was silent for about two to three minutes. And then... The white noise kind of came back and I was saying, look, all right, well, that was, that was weird. I couldn't really sleep that well. But, uh, so we, we just went to bed after we heard that he went to his camp. I went to mine and, uh, after those screeches, it was just, it was just different. So we got up that next morning and I asked my buddy, I was like, did you hear anything more last night? He's like, no, it stopped after that. I'm like, all right. Well, I wanted to go hike. He wanted to stay at camp and walk around kind of where he thought he heard it. And it's not real smart to go hiking by yourself because, you know, you can get in trouble or whatever. And I told him the route I was going and uh, I ended up going back to where the structure was. And I looked at it. It was fouled up. I did the best I could. I just felt like I was obligated to fix it. It was just kind of a bizarre feeling. And I was really anxious when I was in there doing it. But I did what I can. I'm not a super big guy, but I did what I could to kind of fix it. And there were some wildflowers sitting around I thought, what the heck, whatever, I'll just throw a piece offering, whatever it was. I just, I don't know. It was just weird. I felt obligated. So then I hiked past it and went on a little different trail for about a mile or two. And it got to be about two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And I figured, well, with my distance hiking, I'll get back about 530. And I'll give me plenty of time to get back while it's still daylight. So go back to camp. And uh, he asked, well, did you see it? He's joking around. I said, no. And we just kind of sat around and BSed and 
enjoy camp. And then we racked out, went to sleep. And uh, I had a hard time sleeping. And it, I woke up about 1130, 12 o'clock, and I heard footsteps. And I thought, oh, great. You know, we left some of our MRE out or something. Here comes a bear because there's there's bear out there quite a bit in that country. Bear and we're by the goat rocks area. So there's, you know, goats, but they don't come in. They pretty much stay up in the rocks. But I heard it and my tent was partially, my, my uh, window was partially open just to kind of get some ventilation in there because it was kind of warm. It was late September or early September, excuse me, late August. And uh, so I'm laying there and I heard it come in more, but it didn't sound like it was, you know, four-legged. It sounded bipedal. And I'm like, what in the world? And then I just felt this overwhelming anxiety and I was super uncomfortable. And so I sat up and I peeked out and outside the tent, about 10, 15 feet, there it was. And I completely froze and I could not believe what I was actually looking at. And I thought, okay, and I was awake. I was, there's no, you know, no alcohol, nothing involved. We didn't pack any of that in and I'm watching it and it stops and it turns its head. It kind of looks at camp. This thing was uh, laying there. It was probably seven and a half feet and it had probably a four, four and a half foot shoulders span. And it was built like the arms and the legs on this, its arms hung down to its knee and it had kind of a, an apish apish face the moonlight hit it i couldn't get a real clear look but you know it had kind of an ape type nose and mouth and it stopped and the only reason i saw its face is it turned and looked at me because i made a noise and i thought oh my god this is it and my buddy's in his tent just snoring away and i want to wake him up but i didn't know what was going to happen you you literally cannot believe what you're looking at i never thought in a million years i'd see it and it made a little huff and a grunt and when it did that, it was like, uh, you know, the orchestra bass drums, the reverberation you get. When yeah. it did that grunt, I felt it in my chest and in my ears, and it looked at me. And then it turned, and there was a howl and a whoop out in the distance, and it perked him up. I, I'm assuming it was a male, because I didn't, after hearing encounters, sometimes you can see the female anatomy. But I'm assuming this was a male, because it had, you know, it, it had a male's chest and muscles. And, and it was, you know, seven and a half feet was my best guess. And after the whoop and the howl, it turned and looked, perked up. And then it just started walking away from camp. I didn't go to sleep. I just laid there awake because I couldn't fall asleep after that. And then as it walked away, I started feeling relief. And it's like, well, in the, you know, I was pretty shook. So I just, I didn't sleep. And I finally got out of the tent about five when the sun was coming up. And I walked around and I could see where the brush was laid down for, from when it walked in and the underbrush and sticks were broke. But I couldn't see track because there's so much dendrology and grasses and it's, it's kind of a sandy, it's more toward the east side, so you get a little bit of sand and dirt. Anyhow, so he wakes up, and I'm sitting out there, and I told him what happened, and he goes, he just laughed at me. He said, that thing didn't, it would have woke me up. I'm like, you just slept right through it, man. I said, it, it, it came into camp, and he dismissed me and kind of laughed at me, and he goes, why are you so shook up? I'm like, Dude, I just told you why. And he goes, well, I said, let's, just, let's go take a walk. Let's go somewhere else. I need to clear my head, man. So we walked away from camp. And we're just nothing happened. Didn't hear anything. It was a good hike. We found a really awesome meadow out there and just kind of enjoyed the hike. And I kind of calmed down and it was still in the back of my mind. Well, we decided that's a, we're, we're good here. We thought about moving camp out there because it was so nice, but it would have extended our hike back in when we were going home. So we just said, let's just stay where we're at. I was uncomfortable there, but I thought, all right, it's, it, you're just, you're just, get yourself all worked up over nothing. You know, you saw it. It's, it's fine. I convinced myself it's okay. Well, we come back to camp and this is the part that is absolutely wild. We come back, my buddy's like, my buddy just stops and I stop and we froze and his tent was completely shredded. It was shoved. It was tossed, shoved, I don't know, up in a tree about, I don't know, 12 feet or so. His sleeping bag was tore up. Everything that was his personal property was completely destroyed. And I look over and my tent and my stuff, my coffee cup I had hanging on the tree, a little metal tin cup that I put on my pack, that was hanging. All my stuff was perfectly fine, not touched. There's a little bit of prints, but not enough that it was, there was no serious depressions in the ground. But again, my stuff was fine. His was destroyed. And that absolutely shook me to the core in him. And he, he's like, what the heck? He goes, who came in here and destroyed our camp? And I'm like, Bigfoot, man, you pissed him off. You messed with his fort. He screwed you over. And I kind of laughed about it because I'm trying to keep myself calm and rational. So I'm pitching him crap about it, but I wanted to leave real bad. But the problem was it was starting to get dark and we didn't want to hike through there at night with whatever's going on. 
but there's absolutely zero sign of people. And in front of my tent, not right in front, but by it, there's a, a pile of like flower type stuff that they put down by mine. And that absolutely froze me. And it was almost like I got gifted and everything I'd ever read that I kind of laughed off. It was such a surreal thing, but it, I mean, it, it happened. It was there. It did that. And it's like, it gifted me flowers back and it left my stuff alone, but destroyed his. And I honestly think when it came into camp, it was seeing who was who and what was what. And it has, it has a level of intelligence and rationalization and it's, a, it, it, man, it's there and it's, it's intelligent and it, yeah, it, it's there, Tony. I'm a hundred percent believer. I listen to a lot of these stories and a lot of it correlates. Some of it's kind of different and out there, but I can't dismiss it after what I saw. I have nothing to gain by telling this story either. You're the first person I've talked about and you can, I'm pretty nervous and kind of hesitant about it, but it, I want it out there that if you see something out there that, that looks like it's something that it's out of the norm that could be Sasquatch related, don't, don't mess with it. Just enjoy it, observe it and walk away because they are territorial. I truly believe that. And it could have ended a lot worse, but, I think, you know, he fired the first shot and it fired back. Wow. <laughs> wow. Holy cow, man. I can't imagine what you guys felt like, at least especially you, because it seems like you were more on the ball when it came to what was going on because you saw it. But when you came into that camp, I mean, my gut would have just sunk to my feet. I mean, I, I just would have been petrified. And I know you said you were kind of clowning him and stuff because it messed with all his stuff but man i'll tell you i i would it would have been a really hard decision to stay there again that night oh I, tony i was terrified i could feel my heart beat in my ears and that's kind of how i <laughs> from back when i was a medic that's kind of how i deal with tough situations is i i kind of make a joke or i make light of it to try to just calm myself but yeah it, deep down inside i was i was terrified because this was an intentional act done by something intelligent. Did you hear anything or anything else since you were th out there that night? I mean, any howls, anything like that? Well, we, it was kind of funny because my stuff was alone and you can squeeze two people in that hiking tent, but it's, it's really, it's kind of uncomfortable. And I looked at him and I said, well, it's too late to hike out. So, I mean, let's just stay here. He said, well, I'm not sleeping. I said, I'm not either. He goes, can I sleep in your tent with you? And I was like, oh my God. He's like, well, you kind of have to. I said, but you know, no weird stuff, no spooning. Because again, I'm just trying to make it light. <laughs> and uh, I said, we're not, this isn't going to get weird. <laughs> he laughed. He's like, no, man, I, I just, I want to get in here, get up in the morning, get the heck out. And I said, man, I told you not to be an a-hole. And uh, anyway, to answer your question, that night we were in there and we did hear a couple knocks. We didn't hear, we didn't hear that air raid, like the deep, that, that where it starts low and kind of goes from a baritone to a tenor and then winds back down. I didn't hear that, but we did hear some whoops and some tree knocks in the distance. So I'm pretty sure they were watching and seeing how, you know, I'm positive that they were there, but they didn't come back in. I think they proved their point and basically they're waiting for us to get out. And that next morning we got up and we hiked out and we were going at a good clip. We, we, were, we were pretty fast getting out of there and getting to the car. But we were looking over our shoulders and we didn't hear anything. You know, I hear sometimes they, they pace you and uh, we didn't hear any of that. But just that, that last night, we did hear some knocks and a couple of whoops nearby. So, so I think they were, they were seeing what we were doing. Yeah. And I mean, do you think that they were observing you the night before they came into camp when you guys left? And that's how they knew that his stuff was his stuff? Or do you think it was more like a, a scent thing that they they saw their structure or whatever they, those things are uh, destroyed and they could just tell by maybe the scent? I think when it came in that night before it destroyed the camp, I think it came in and it, it observed who was who. And I think it might have been by scent or I mean, I looked at him. So if they can see well at night under the moonlight, so it was a clear night. We were kind of in an open area with trees wrapped around us. And I believe if they're truly kind of a nocturnal animal, they can see at night. And if I could see my tent lit up and see him, I'm pretty sure he could see me. So I, th so, so I, I think he, I think he came in and wanted to see who was where and what, because I'm almost positive that they were watching us from the time we made camp and the time we were hiking through because they started making noise that second night. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. They for, for sure can see at night and stuff. I mean, they operate at night. And how many times do we hear people having these experiences at night? Uh, you know, these things definitely have an ability to navigate through the forest and stuff, even at night, uh, where 
we couldn't. Uh, I mean, if yeah. you if you left your camp without a flashlight or anything, you'd be screwed. You know. Yep. Yeah. There's no way we could see unless we go by moonlight. But if you get into any of the trees, no, it's you've got maybe a good two foot, three foot of visibility, even when your eyes adapt. It's so dark. Yeah, and I've never been out there in the woods and stuff, but I know here in PA and stuff. I mean, it like when the canopy's up and stuff, you can't you can't see anything in the woods at night because yep. the canopy just covers everything. And if it's like that exactly. here, I'm sure it's like that there. Yep, it is. It's exactly like that. So these howls and stuff that you guys were hearing, you heard them the first night, if I'm correct in saying this, you heard them the first night and that's the night you saw this creature? Is that how it uh, went? No, the first night, nothing happened. It was just a quiet camp. But the second night, we hiked in found the structure he messed with it and then that night they were making the noise and howling the long howl the whoops and the knocks and then we hiked out again or i hiked out again the third day and did what i could to kind of fix it and threw flowers down for some weird reason and hiked out or hiked down a little bit more than hiked back to camp and then that night he came in and then the following day destroyed camp but the first night was quiet so the first the first day there was nothing going on and that's what no. and then he did his thing and destroyed the structure yep it makes you wonder if they even if it was a possibility that they even saw it i mean like if if he destroyed the structure and then pretty much right after that you're having issues it makes you wonder if they were even around and actually saw him actually you know do what he did uh i yeah, I think they saw us there the first night making camp and just left it alone and were just kind of curious what we were doing. Because, I mean, we were, we were, God, we were back in the, the back country. This isn't where people hike. We didn't see any sign of people trails or people always leave an impact in the woods intentionally or unintentionally. It's just what happens. And, uh, yeah, there was absolutely no sign of people out there. We were deep in, we were deep in the back country. And I think it was observing us from the time we got there. And then, yeah when we were hiking i think uh, provoking it was a bad choice oh for sure (laughs) for sure uh you know and that's funny because i've come across structures and stuff out in the woods and i've never even thought about destroying them uh i've always been like wow this is pretty cool looking no matter if it was bigfoot or uh i don't know the boy scouts i mean right the the structures they're they're pretty cool looking and then when you look at the history of these structures uh you know the native americans they they had some pretty cool stuff going on man and i'm just i was always fascinated by it like even so that sometimes you come across i don't know about out there but out here very rarely now uh, it was much more common before they start you know deforest deforestation but uh Sometimes you still come across a tree that, you know, it grows vertical and then it maybe like it turns at a 90 degree angle to the right and then it'll turn again at a 90 degree angle and go straight up. Or sometimes mm-hmm. it splits in the middle, like it grows straight up, splits in the middle and then like a field goal, you know, like a football field yeah. goal. And yep. those are actually created by Native Americans. Uh, they were markers and it was, they, they meant things like, you know, this tribe's this direction, this tribe's that direction. You stay on your side, we stay on our side kind of thing. Like they, they were instructional. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've actually come across it and it's really fascinating. And so I've always been fascinated just by the different things you're going to find out there, arrowheads. And uh, my buddy had lived on a, um, a farmhouse, like an old farm with an old farmhouse. And he was always finding moccasins and a bunch of stuff around the property. And it's just, I've always been fascinated by that stuff. So uh, the idea of tearing down a structure, something that I just never would have thought of. And uh, apparently your buddy did though. And he, did he, did he regret it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He, and he, does he, he didn't completely demolish it because some of it was so big you couldn't, but he basically took a side of it and collapsed it. And you could tell that and stepped on it and broke stuff to, he thought he, in his mind, he thought it's like provoking a ghost. Let's see if we get a result. Well, he got it. He got a result. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's kind of cool. Like even the sense that you had those flowers at, at the camp then, it's like they, it was like they were observing you the whole time. They knew who knocked it down. They knew who tried setting it back up. They knew who put flowers there as a peace offering and they like respected it. That shows yeah. a level of intelligence that a lot of people that are very casual with this idea, if they even think about Bigfoot, uh, don't really comprehend is how smart these things are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, 
and that's kind of what I took it as. And I, I don't know, like I said, I, I felt really bad about it. And I, I've been in the woods a lot and I've come across stuff. I just, I don't mess with it. I observe it, enjoy it and walk on because, you know, that whole area of the Yakima Nation, they used to use that as a trading route, but not the area we were, but in that general area on the Pacific Crest Trail, which is about, I don't know, 20 miles from where we were. And that's a real popular, that, that was an old, you know, trading trail for the Yakima Nation and you'll find stuff. And that's what I thought. Maybe it was an old Native American type hut, but the trees were fresh. So it wasn't old. So there, there were still, some of the trees were still green, which means they're not dried out and rotted. They still have moisture in them. They still have the cambium layer on them. And uh, so this was, I mean, this was a relatively newly built. It wasn't like we came across an old historic thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I've come across some that looked pretty fresh, but then I've also come across ones that they seem like they've been there for years and weathered mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But do you think that this thing would have come into camp and tore it up if you guys were there? I I don't know. I think it I, I'm positive that they were observing us. I think I think we probably would have heard noise. I think we were in their territory, but I they might have come in just to kind of see what we're doing. I've heard they get real curious and sometimes they get, you know, they can be, the younger ones could be a little playful, but usually one of the alphas or the males are around to kind of keep an eye on them, much like, you know, humans. But I think it may have come in and checked it out, but I don't think it would have came this close and I don't think it would have had an agenda. And that's what blows my mind is this thing had an agenda. And that means it went back and thought about things and waited for us to be gone and then came in and did its thing and re-gifted the flowers to me and that that right there just chilled me to the core because it was so blatant and real and it was just it changed my whole outlook on it it took any doubt away yeah now so you're saying that those flowers that it brought in were the same ones you left no they were different because i had some wild just they're kind of a a white flower and there's some columbine and the stuff they brought there was more columbine and there wasn't any of the flowers that i dropped off so it came from a different different spot i think I think they brought, they brought me different ones. So this this thing's in your camp and you peek your head out and you actually see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did it look like as far as the hair length goes? Uh, was it like a shaggy looking thing or was it kind of like short spiked hair? How did it how did it look? Could you tell? Yeah, I, through the moonlight because it was dark and I for sure as heck wasn't going to shoot a flashlight at it. But uh, I looked over and it was kind of through the moonlight. It looked black, but. It, there was some lighter color. It wasn't super shaggy, like people say the, the Florida Swamp Ape, but it wasn't anything like that. It it had a little bit of a conical head, not serious, not like a Harry and the Hendersons, but a little less than that. The hair was, it was kind of mid-length, and it got a little bit longer toward the, the waist a little bit, but it, I, it was it was kind of shorter. It just kind of fit, so you could see the contours of the, you could see his contours. You could see his muscles in his chest. You could see his biceps and his thighs. It kind of the hair looked a lot like the the Patty Gimlin film, kind of the the, the, the structure of it and how he was yeah. how he was built. But it was a male because it didn't have you know it didn't have the female anatomy showing. But it looked it was kind of shaped like the Patty uh, with the hair. Did it walk like the Patterson film? When it walked away, yeah, it kind of had a, a, a forward lean and it had the arm sway and it walked straight, probably about. Seven eight feet, so I could see its back as I'm peeking at it, and it turned left, and it went kind of towards where that that whoop and short howl tree knock was, and it headed back. Wow! And it after it got you know twenty feet away, it's, you know now you're in the dark, and you can just kind of hear some sticks, you know, crack crack, and and then it just it got quiet, and then it was just nothing but white noise in the camp, and there was just a feeling that it was it was just it was wild. It was super uncomfortable. I've never felt like that before. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, uh nobody's really ever planning on seeing these things. Even if you're going out there looking for it, the odds are you're not going to see it. So, <laughs> what right. you actually do is it's got to be catching you off guard. Did it seem like when it walked away, did it seem like it had another gear that it wasn't displaying like so when I when I say that, I mean when I watched the Patterson film, there's not one time during that film that I would I would think, without knowing what I know today from everybody's experiences, uh, that this thing has a, an ungodly amount of uh, strength and speed to it. Uh, oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because like the Patterson yeah. film, when you watch it, if you're just a person watching it, you look like you're like, OK, that's a giant monkey type creature that's just kind of slothing its way through the woods. But 
what we know from people's experiences is that these things move so fast that it's almost like they were never there. Uh, yep. Did you did you ever get a sense that it had that kind of gear to it? Yeah, when it was taken off, because you could hear you know the underbrush under it, and then it got really fast and it got quiet really quick. If I or you were to walk through there at the best speed we could, it it wouldn't match that sound of it leaving. So it was fairly slow in camp, but when it left, yeah, it 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 did speed up. But I couldn't see how fast it was going. I could just kind of hear it. It did speed up some. But I imagine they're quicker than lightning if you get them. And I, I know they could charge through the woods like a bulldozer. You're not going to stop them. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, just by your description there, it sounds like it walked off much faster than anything we could have done. Uh, if yep. the, the sound of it walking off faded away as quick as it did. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm just always fascinated by it because these things are so big. I, I mean, you said what, about seven and a half feet? Yeah, I, and I might be lowballing it because I, you know, I don't want to sound grandiose, but yeah, it was definitely seven and a half feet at least. I'm going to go with that, but the shoulder width on it was four, four and a half feet. This thing was so broad, and it was just one giant muscle. Okay, so we're going to go with eight and a half, nine feet. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I I told you before the interview started. Every time, or maybe I said it in the beginning, I don't remember, but every time I hear somebody's story from out west, like where you're at. I just think of these gigantic mammoths of just mass, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and essentially, that's what you... I mean, if, even if you're saying seven and a half feet tall, I mean, uh, in in my world of lingo, uh, that you're thinking basketball player height, seven and a half feet is really big. I mean, the tallest... Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I'm drawing a blank as to who the tallest person is in the league right now, but I know Yao Ming was seven six, and he was huge. He made Shaquille O'Neal look short, and so right. uh, it, that's a really big thing. And then on top of it, you said it was what four feet wide, about that four four and a half feet shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, man, I mean it, it, that's got to be terrifying. Uh, did now people have described these things as like a a barrel chest some people say it has more of a v to it what would you say it had it the way it it was when it turned to look it it was so broad but it did kind of taper down it looked like uh you know those world strong men that the way their chests yeah. and their arms and it, it was like that it wasn't barrel chested though it was it was almost like a professional bodybuilder is fairly flat with just the muscle showing in the hair it didn't have a big broad belly or it wasn't egg shaped or anything like that. It it just looked, it was just really cut and it was, it was thick. It wasn't thin. Like some of the ones I've heard, it, it just, I'd say it's, it's thighs. I mean, it's thighs were probably three inches wider than my waist and I'm a 32 waist. So it, it was, it was just huge. Jeez. And, and the way it, it cause it kind of turned its shoulder a little bit and it, it when it turned its head, it, it, gl- it glanced down and was looking and I was kind of, partially sitting up in my tent and I, I was looking way up at it. So it was kind of looking down and then it, it huffed and grunted and I felt it go completely through my body. And I thought, man, this is it. This thing saw me. It's going to turn. It's going to tear my tent up. I'm dead. This can't, I was frozen. It, it was so surreal. And then the, it got, it's almost like it got called back and it, it turned away from me and it looked over where my buddy was. And then it slowly walked and then hung a left and went through the, the foliage and, quickly and it was just it was gone it was like it was never there there was no smell there it was just it was there and i'm assuming you looked around for prints and there were no prints anywhere oh no i i definitely looked around and so did my buddy because when i told him about it but all you could see was you could see kind of partial but you couldn't really identify it because there was a lot of leaves and it's kind of a sandy rocky base so you could see where stuff was disturbed and I walked out to where it walked and all I could see was some, some stuff that had, some limbs and stuff that had been broken when it went through, but there wasn't super identifiable prints. You could just kind of tell it was a partial trail that it went through because it made its way. Yeah. The, the, referring back to what you just said about the, uh, the way it, the size of it, uh, and, and how it was shaped f- physique wise, uh, I, it makes total sense to me. I mean, I would never expect these things to be kind of on the chunky side, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, one, they move around in the woods all day. That's their life, right? But also, you got to think about their diet. I mean, you're talking... I, I think they probably eat both meat and plants, but you're talking about something that eats fresh plants and very fresh meat. This isn't yep. This isn't like 
carbs. This isn't like, you know, even the store-bought meat you find. Like this is very fresh wild game they're eating and that's just the best you can eat for yourself. Yep, yeah, they're 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 definitely a keto monkey. <laughs> yes. So what do you think they are, man, as far as that goes? I mean, do you think that, uh, I mean, we can go as far as what you think they are, but I meant like as far as diet goes, do you think that they kind of, they do the hunter gatherer thing or do you think they lean more one way than the other? I, I believe they, they hunt game. I believe they get deer and elk because as quick and as strong as they are, I would put it past them to be able to ambush hunt. And I think they're an ambush predator after I've kind of done a little bit of research and how they'll false charge you and threaten. And, you know, people say that they get the bluff charges and they back off and they're too close. I think they do that when they have young. And I just, I consider them a tribe for the group. And I think they do that when they have young, they get really aggressive and territorial. But I believe that they have, they do go out and they hunt wild game. They eat, you know, the berries. But yeah, I believe that, I believe they're ambush predators and they, they take down wild game and bring it back and yeah. kind of share it among themselves. Yeah. And I've heard different, and I agree with you, uh, and I've heard different ideas as how they come across the game like some people believe that they actually work together and they like funnel deer into an area where they ambush them then mm -hmm. uh like like orca whales do is that what orca whales do yeah they surround and they'll do like a bubble netting and they'll confuse prey and they come in like a circle or a u-shape and then they have one that's a male or an alpha and it charges through and it takes it out and then they go and that's the the orca's ambush predator and that's what i think I think that's how Sasquatch would hunt. I think there'd be four or five of them around slowly enclosing it, pushing it away, kind of like how people hunt. They they drive the animal to where they need it. And I think they do that and then they, they ambush predator and they attack it and then they have their meal. Wow, I didn't realize that orca whales hunted deer. No, not deer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm playing. Yeah, I know. They get up. It's just an evolutionary thing. You can Google it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't trust Google these days. But anyway, <laughs> nope, nope, me either. Me either. I'm anti Google. <laughs> yeah, I, I was on the uh, oh crap. I forget what it, the search engine was. It's from Switzerland. But now I'm on the Duck Duck Go. I I just I just it's more. It's the best thing out there next to Google. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm on. But anyways, we're not here to talk about my conspiracy <laughs> theories. But, <laughs> uh, you had this experience with this one. Uh, obviously, you probably believe that there are several nearby at least. Now, what do you think the odds are? Now, I'm looking on, on the maps right now. I know the general area of where you had this encounter, the National Forest. I can't pronounce the Gifford something. Gifford Pinchot. Pinchot. So Gr Gifford Pinchot National Forest. And I'm looking at the map and I so happen to know where Germer lives. And no knowing that this was near where he had his experience, I'm looking at the distances and everything. What are the odds that your experience with this one Sasquatch is maybe from the same group that he had his experience because it's not that big of an area. If you think about it, like these things are, you know what we believe, I believe the same thing you do where these things are probably tribal. They stick together in groups kind of thing. Uh, what are the odds that two, three, four of these tribal creatures are living in the same general area as the ones that he had encounter with? I, I honestly think that's a very real possibility because like I said, we were, we were about a day and a half or so day height into where Germer had his. And I think they're fairly nomadic and they cover a large area to hunt. And I'd say it's a good chance. It could have been the same ones. Uh, it didn't do the weird walk. Like Germer says they do. It was fully upright, but I think there's a very, very good chance that it could have been the same, the same tribe or in that area. Yeah, I, I do too. And I, I mean, that's why I asked you because I'm looking at the maps. I'm like, you know, I don't think that we have a, a population of, you know, 15,000 Bigfoot in the United States. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I think that no. we have uh, we have a decent population, but I don't think it's, you know, even close to what the bear population is, you know. Uh, and I was just looking at this and I'm thinking, man, if there was like two... Imagine if there was two or three tribes and just th this one national forest. Like we're talking about some Bigfoot wars going on. <laughs> like, well, that's what uh, that's what I'm thinking territorial, but there there would have to be different in the tribe because for mating purposes, you'd wind up with you know really goofy incestual Sasquatch. That you know what I mean. So there has to yeah. be some other tribes where they meet to keep the genetic code clean. But 
Right. I don't think there's that many, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, well, it's wild. And, and what you bring up there is a, a theory that uh, we had him on the show, shoot, a while ago, but a friend of mine, Jamie King, he uh, brought this to my attention. It's something I never thought about until he said it. Uh, he said, because in Ohio and Pennsylvania, there's this really well-known, these sightings of a white Sasquatch. And it's like, it's hard to fathom and wrap your mind around, but there's a ton of people having these sightings and it goes back years. I mean, we're talking a long time ago before I was born in Ohio, especially like um, Eastern, Northeastern Ohio into Pennsylvania and all across the state of Pennsylvania, especially Northern Pennsylvania into uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. And he brought this up and he said, you know, it wouldn't surprise him if it was a result of uh, um what's the word I'm looking for in breeding. And mm -hmm. so these creatures, maybe not having a, a healthy population, they actually do wind up inbreeding and therefore albinoism can be part of this, you know, result. And right. I, I never thought about it before, but it made a lot of sense to me because if there isn't a huge population in our area, then inbreeding would be something that would happen. And then maybe albinoism would be a result of that leading to people having these sightings of these white Bigfoot. Uh, I've, right. I've, I've talked to several people who've seen these things and they're white. Uh, I have a friend of mine, his very first, his only ever sighting was on Christmas Eve 2015 and he saw a white one. Another friend of mine has a picture of a, a, a white one, the head up, and I posted that around online. And so it's just like, uh, it, and we have that famous video of um, Carbondale. I think it was the Carbondale Bigfoot where it was a white one on video. And so it, it's just a very common thing. And it goes back a long time. And I just, you know, sometimes wonder about the whole inbreeding thing. Yeah, I think that's a very real possibility. And that's part of a recessive gene that they have from something like that. And, you know, and it, it can lead to the ones that are, you know, a little, they're different. They're super aggressive. They're you know, it, it could be anything. There's just so many unknowns. But I think that theory is a really good one. I think it's it, it holds up. Yeah, well, time will tell. Time will tell. I mean, yeah. we, we may never find out what these things are and stuff, but uh, it's always fun to theorize and think about it. What do you think they are, though? I mean, I'm I'm thinking it's, I don't know, some people think it's Giganopithecus or something. I think it's just, it's part of the evolutionary scale. It's it's a It's an ape that's localized this area and or in the, all over the united states and it, i just think it's it's something that's hasn't been discovered yet but it's it's, it's just there I, I believe it's some type of an ape to be honest with you just the way it acts and you you watch ape behavior and, and you watch their behavior if you can see one it's it's really similar and the way they they the way they kind of hunt and are in a tribe and uh just just the way they operate i think it's just an ape that we haven't been able to discover because of the intelligence and people say, you know, well, why don't we ever see a body? Why don't we ever see this? And I'm kind of saying, you know, well, how often when you're out, do you see, you know, a bear carcass or an elk carcass? Sometimes you'll see a skull, but you never really see hardly ever an animal that just passed away and is left there and the bones are gone because something ate it. So I believe they have a, a, a tribal type thing. I mean, chimps have mourning and funerals when one of theirs got, when one of theirs die. So I think with the way this operates, I think they do kind of the same thing. And that's why we haven't found a body. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good uh, theory to have. And I wanted to ask you this as well. Uh, what do you think, as far as globally goes, are we dealing with a very similar type creature like the Yowie in Australia and the Yeti? Uh, it, actually, the Yeti, apparently, recently, people are saying, I, I guess officials are saying that the Yeti is actually a real creature, but it's an actual type of bear that kind of branched off into the Himalayas. And it's not your typical type of bear, but it is a bear. Uh, that's what they say, at least. I don't know. But uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, we're mm -hmm. talking about uh, different names for different regions, Russia. Uh, do you think it's all the same type of creature and stuff? Or do you think that they're they're just similar, but they're not the same thing? I kind of, I personally think they're all part of the same genetic tree, but they evolved in, they evolved to whatever environment that they're in. Because in the Northwest, you see them and just the way the way they're built and adapted they're they're made for the northwest they're made for the heavy dendrology you look over in pennsylvania ohio those areas they look a little bit different but they're also they're they're evolved and set for that country the yowie same type of thing but i think they're all part of the same genetic tree but 
they adapted different to their environment, just like humans do. You know, humans talk differently in the South than we do on the West Coast. People talk differently in Canada, you know, so it's all adaptive to your environment. And that's what I think. I think they're all part of the same family, but they're adapted to whatever environment they're in. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, I'd be pissed if I was a skunk ape drawing that straw being down there all hot oh, man. and stuff. I'd be like, why couldn't I have been, you know, up north you know, with the grass yeah. man, you know, have some snowy winters? Straw? Yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm going to go back in time and smack my ancestors because this <laughs> is a stupid place. I, not only do we have the heat and the humidity and I'm covered in hair, my butt's always with, you know, swamp ass, but yep. <laughs> you got dingleberries all but the now, time. Yeah, but now, you know, we're dealing with these freaking, you know, anacondas and all this other crap. <laughs> they had the alligators here. My freaking ancestors were morons, you know, yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'm moving north, later <laughs> Florida. <laughs> but oh man, I I, I kind of got sidetracked there with my own humor. But <laughs> oh, it's easy to do. I do the same thing. I completely take a left turn. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking to myself, this could be a comedy skit. I think I could be a comedian, and all, absolutely, audience, the audience is like, no, please, just stick to podcasting. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's an interesting encounter, man. And, you know, it, it's nice to to hear actually an encounter that happened generally in the area of Wes's, you know, because, you know, it's it, his encounter, honestly, was is probably one of the, the most well-known out there. I mean, it, it's really a, a very detailed, uh, crazy experience. And uh, it, it's just nice to hear somebody from that region having another experience out there and stuff. But, um, you know, before we get out of here, I want to talk to you about something else that you brought up to me before we went live. And that's, uh, you've had, I guess we'll call it a hat man experience or an ongoing experience because mm-hmm. you see it kind of frequently. So talk to us about it. Well, it's, uh, it's my parents' house. And they're in Southwest Washington in Kelso, and it's the house that I, I grew up in. And there were strange experiences as a kid. I had, you know, an imaginary friend named Marcus, and he finally went away. And I talked about really specific stuff, and my parents were like, what the heck? Well, I was always afraid to sleep upstairs as a kid, so I'd always sneak downstairs and sleep on the couch. Well, I was probably 16, 17, and we rented the house to family friends, and they were living there. We came to visit, and I came to stay, and I was sleeping upstairs in the far back bedroom. And I was laying in bed watching the TV, and it's an old house. It was custom built for the people who are really small, so the doorways are kind of narrow. It's a neat old house. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm laying there, and the, the volume on the TV turns way down. What the heck? And the remote's on the floor, so I pick it up, turn it up, and then the TV channel changes. Like, what the heck? What's going on here? So I got creeped out. You know, I'm 16 years old. I sit up, and I look down the hallway, and at the end of the hallway, there's a window. And I see a shadow, and it's blocking the window. I could see uh, head, shoulders, and it was solid. Couldn't see through it. It was just like a black. And it had like a kind of like a bolo derby hat. And it stood there, and I freaked out. And I, that was my only exit, so I was trapped. And it started to walk forward, and then it stopped. And I looked away, and I looked back, and it was gone. And I ran downstairs, and my parents were down there, and they had a hide-a-bed. They were on it, and here I am, 16 years old, and I'm sleeping at the foot of my parents' bed. And... I go back there and every once in a while, I, I, I stayed there oh, a little while ago and I was sleeping in my old room and it was kind of creepy and I felt like I was being watched and I looked up and in the doorway, there it was, it filled it out. He's like five and a half feet, five, seven in his hat and he was standing there and the room was ice cold and I was 22, 23 then coming to visit my folks and it completely, it paralyzed me and then he turned and took off and it makes no sense. I don't understand it, but every once in a while, I'll see it. Even now at 39 years old, I'll, I'll, it'll still come around once in a while and I'll feel it and it goes away. But it's only in this house and I don't get it. And a lot wow. of times when we had dogs, they wouldn't come upstairs. That's really interesting. The fact that, did you see this at all before you were 16? I mean, you said you were scared to be upstairs sleeping uh, throughout your childhood, but you never saw anything? Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I just I remember just feeling scared and feeling watched and I didn't want to be up here alone. And that's not like me because I'm, you know, I'm pretty independent, even as a kid. I just kind of did my own thing. Nothing really shook me. But I, I just, as a child, I always wanted to come downstairs. I hated it up there and it felt like I was being watched. And I, 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 I probably did see something, but I was so young. I mean, I remember saying he came and visited me and my parents just thought it was my imaginary friend. But he never, oh. never, hurt, never hurt me, never, you know, stuff never levitated. But it was just, it'd be there. You'd feel it. It was kind of oppressing. And then it'd be gone. And it's only at this house. So it's, it's, it's weird. I, I'm kind of trying to learn about it, but 
it it was there. <laughs> Can't deny that. I saw it. Yeah, I felt it, and it, it did mess with the TV. And there was no reason for that because I was probably two feet away from the remote lane on the bed, wasn't even touching it, and it changed channels, turned down, turned up, and there it was at the end of the hallway. And it, it got really cold. He came and visited me. That's enough for me to freak out if my kid says yeah. that to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, my my parents they 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 were kind of like, well, what's going on? So my I had, there was a couple beds up there, and my my mom or my dad would sleep in the other room or in the same room where I had another twin bed and they'd crash there and never really saw or felt anything. And I slept fine, but it was just, it was when I was alone and my mom, I remember her telling me that when the guy that built the house passed away, he built a custom for him and his wife. When he passed away, the house had a smell. And I mean, my parents ripped the drywall out. They thought maybe a mouse died in the wall. They put all new drywall in, they repainted, they put all new floors and never found anything until my mom had me. And then as soon as my mom had me and brought me from the hospital, uh, the smell went away. And later I learned that the people that owned the house always wanted a child, but they couldn't because the wife couldn't bear children. So they, they sold the house real cheap. And they, I remember my dad told me, they said, the stipulation on this house is you have to have a child and we'll sell it to you for this price. And then he passed away. And then my mom said that smell was here until I was born. And then it just went away, even after they did a complete wow. remodel on it. And then it went away. But then I started talking about seeing people. So I don't know if it's the old guy that, because he's small and the house is built for short people. So, I mean, the doorway, I'm only 5'7", and I, I almost hit my head on the door coming in. This house is built for a very small family. Wow. So you're, you're saying that the shadow figure that you saw, though, fit in the doorway. Yeah, he, he, he fit in the doorway and he was small. So I'm, I'm almost wondering if it's the guy that built the house coming to kind of check yeah. stuff out because he never does anything never you know he, he, it's just there and it's pretty much when i'm here and when i'm not visiting nothing weird really happens but when i come here it's almost like he he's checking on me because i'm still the kid it's it's i don't know that's i i don't have a a theory or whatever but it doesn't happen every time but when i stay there sometimes i see it and feel it i saw him in the doorway when i was in my early 20s and you know sober as a pope and looking in the doorway because i don't drink and i just look and it's like oh, what the heck the heck and then it just that room got cold and it went away wow that's that's pretty crazy it does yeah. it, it sounds like it's the old man and he was haunting the place until your parents had a kid and then yep. he just kind of pops in and out whenever you're around sometimes when you're around and just kind of checking in almost as if it's his own kid now and yeah i mean that's kind of it's kind of creepy to think about that a ghost might take ownership of you as far as like oh, yeah. fatherhood. Oh yeah. Dude, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ready with the sage, man, if he shows up at my house, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I've never had, we, uh, in our house where we live now, it's a, me and my wife, it's a new construction home. And, uh, every once in a while in the back hallway, we'll see in the corner of our eye, we'll see somebody that's like six, three and it's a shadow. And we, and even my wife, she goes, I feel like I'm being watched. She was taking a bath and she got freaked out and said, she felt like she was being watched. And I've been, I get up at four for work and I've been getting ready. And in the corner of my eye, I swear to God, I see a shadow and I feel like something's watching me and I turn and it's gone. So I can't ever get a good look at it, but even Elena feels it, our daughter. And uh, my wife and I were watching TV one night and she had her uh, glass of juice on the, the coffee table and we both saw it and the glass turned halfway and then it slid two inches and we both watched it and we looked at each other and she's like you saw that right I'm like yeah i saw that what what and i looked down the hallway and i go down the hallway and i felt kind of a cold and i didn't want to be back there and this is a new house and i don't know where i don't know where it came from what it is but we even we even see something but it's tall every once in a while at our in our new house it's, it's bizarre and you did you build the house no, uh, a lady built it to flip it when the market was really good. And then uh, I bought it and she moved over to Idaho. It was just a single lady that, that lived there. and She bought a bunch of property. It sits on about two and a half acres. It was an old tree farm, so surrounded by fully grown trees. And uh, yeah, she built it in, I think, 2002. And uh, we bought it. I bought it not too long after that. And then I didn't really feel anything weird. Nothing was, nothing was going on. And then when I got married... Uh, about three years after that, we started seeing weird stuff. So I can't, I can't explain it, but I definitely see it in the corner of my eye. I can't ever get a good look, but you feel it. And it's, it's a really, it's a really creepy being watched kind of not oppressive, but it's just a really uncomfortable feeling. And then it's gone. 
So I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if something followed me or what. Yeah, you know, uh, I know the feelings you're talking about, and it's very uneasy. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that something followed you per se. I think there's a lot of complications when it comes to dealing with this stuff, and I think that we we often uh, box ourselves in mentally uh, into a certain line of thinking just because we're either used to it or it makes us feel comfortable. Uh, but there, I think there's a lot of things that that could explain or lead you into possibly explaining what's going on there. But the fact that you both saw the cup move, uh, at least that tells you that you guys are both on the same page and it's not like you're crazy or she's crazy. Right. Well, and the thing is, is I did a little bit of research. Uh, Her parents have both passed away in an accident, but when her mother was alive, uh, she was really into tarot and spells and things like that. And, uh, when I got married, my wife, you know, has possession of her parents' belongings. Well, when she, you know, when she married me and moved in, she put her mom's stuff out kind of, we have a sunroom with a hot tub and stuff. She put her mom's stuff out there and uh, her brother's also passed away and uh, she's had a lot of unfortunate tragedy in her life. But uh, after she moved in and put those tarot cards and stuff were in there, I'm tracing it back to that. But I, her mom had them wrapped like you're supposed to and they're, they're not protective, whatever. So I don't know anything about tarot. I know nothing. But after that stuff came out of the house, that's when I started seeing things. And uh, the cups have moved more than once. That's not just a singular occurrence, but in the house and the shadows. So I think it correlates to uh, the stuff her mom might have brought in. I think something. I think something might be attached to it. Yeah, you know that might be a possibility. In fact, I think uh, that would be a very good possibility uh, to look into. You know, the best way to learn about tarot is practicing tarot. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I'm so funny today. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, that feeling of being watched is something that I I think this I've always I think a lot of people have felt that before. And mm-hmm. I do remember though distinctly the feeling that of being watched was the strongest for me. And it was so weird because it was where I worked when I was in college. During the summertime, I worked at a place in Reading, Pennsylvania called Bachman's Pretzel, and I was basically in, in production. I made pretzels, and you know. The one night it was I was working a second shift, so I was working till midnight, and I was in the very back making the dough and like cutting it and all this stuff, and I'm by myself, and I had the entire night I felt like somebody was watching me to the point that there was times like I'm in this big room by myself, like it wasn't like crammed, you know, in a tight quarters, uh, and I'm cutting dough and you know I'm doing my job, but there's been there was a couple times <clears throat> there was a couple times that you know. I like jump and I turn around and I look over my shoulder because I, I swear somebody was just like right there and nothing. And it's like that feeling is very uneasy when you're going through it. But uh, let me ask you one more question here. Uh, as far as Marcus goes, was Marcus the name of the guy that owned that house or no? No. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. No. It, and, and that's what I traced back when I got older. No, that wasn't his name. This was just something that showed up and hung out with me till I was about eight or nine. We'd go on vacation and I'd tell him about stuff that Marcus had told me and and it was just I don't know if it's just a little kid imaginary friend but yeah he was yeah. yeah he was there I don't I don't really I think- understand it well, I think imaginary friends, I mean, certainly kids could have an imaginary friend, but I think that that's too commonly put on as the definition as to what the kid is doing and stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, maybe it's just me and what if what I do and stuff. But when a kid says that they have an imaginary friend and stuff, or they talking to somebody, I, I, I don't think I would be very quick to jump to say, oh, it's just an imaginary friend. And it's yeah. probably because of what I do and stuff. I'm much more aware and think about these kind of things. But uh, anyways, man, listen, Chris, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your experiences and stuff. It's been a pleasure just hearing your Sasquatch experience and even the hat, man. It's just very, very interesting. Yeah, it is. And I really appreciate you taking the time to let me share my experience and kind of put out there when you come across something in the woods, just enjoy it. Don't mess with it. Well, that's the show, everybody. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. That's the best thing you can do to help support the show is just share it around with your friends. We don't care if it's on internet, word of mouth. I don't care how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it, because that's the best thing you can do. And until next week, friends, stay safe, take care. And remember, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off. Bye. Bigfoot.